You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Join us on the segment uh, Travel Express uh, and Travel Express is uh, uh, Ibrahim Ba's uh, beautiful segment. Yeah, he fly, we fly with him. We get the nitty gritty of what's happening in the travel world with our very own Ibrahim Badacha, my Ibrahim Ba. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this fine, beautiful Tuesday evening? Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Brother Shafat, and our listeners to Radio Marcus Sahaba there. Uh, it's a good, beautiful, calm evening. There was a lot of wind around, but it seems to have subsided over here. And yeah, I'm feeling good, and uh, thank Allah for that, of course. And we have another evening and another program ahead. Looking forward to it. No, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, in this world of deception, uh, lies being spoken and many things, uh, you know, falsehood and uh, false media and all that uh, things, uh, you know. But one thing you can't uh, manipulate is when you're flying. You can't uh, make the uh, a false start when the plane takes off. You have certain prote- uh, procedures, certain protocols, and you obey that to the T. Otherwise, you make one mistake. It's all over, ba. Absolutely. You know, the thing is what you say, uh, I can uh, sort of uh, relate to that uh, because uh, once we were guests of, I think it was Jet Airways in India, and uh, we had the good fortune of being allowed (laughs) into the flight simulator. (laughs) And uh, that was something else. It was quite quite an experience, actually. And I remember the guy, uh, the qualified uh, trainer, the pilot over there sitting, you know, in the seat on the left of you and he puts you in the hot seat. And he says, if you're taking off this lever here where your left hand automatically falls, he says, that's your life. And believe me, if you don't know what you're doing when you're taking off, there's no second chances there. So, yeah, it is indeed uh, something that one has to be wary of and uh, at all times remember that is not just you and the aircraft, it's you carrying a whole plane load of passengers and cargo as well. So the positions occupied by a either first officer, pilot or captain or whatever other is a very, very important and uh, one that should be, you know, respected in that sense by everyone that dons that uniform and is capable of flying an aircraft. You know, but yesterday they had the Dakotas and all taking off. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, uh, those were real robust and, you know, uh, hardy planes to fly. Work horses, work horses. I mean, uh, those guys had no computer and all telling them what to do or, you know, the assistance or be careful. You know, at least here the uh, computers today will uh, step in if there's a human error. It will Mm -hmm. try and, you know, uh, rectify your your, your human error or it will give out alarm systems and so forth uh, to say, you know, no, no, you're not on the right track here. But uh, yesteryear they had this sturdy guys you know, sober pilots. Today you get them drunk and still flying planes <laughs> and all of, uh, you know, they say, oh, it's everything, hawk control and so forth. What's your thoughts on that, Ba? Uh, yeah, Allah. No, what you're saying is true. It is true. There have been pilots that have been caught, uh, you know, drunk and in charge, of course, which is dangerous to the nth degree, I, I, I know. Uh, well, look, uh, with technology, it's fly-by-wire these days, you know, and... Uh, I think this is where they take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, it is, uh, in the olden days, they had just basically the compass and some sort of radar and things like that. And they flew by the seat of their pants, literally. And uh, they really had to fly the aircraft, you know. (laughs) And uh, these days, it's all rather simple, very uh, 
advanced system, very uh, technologically advanced. And the thing is, I think you've got to be uh, rather jacked up and sophisticated insofar as those technologies goes for you to be able to man these uh, planes. And uh, you'll find that there is a preference given by some pilots to a either Boeing aircraft or Airbus aircraft. And the thing is, uh, sometimes uh, they they don't uh, sort of select a crew if they have experience on one as opposed to the other, because I believe the layout and maybe the uh, instrumentation and controls and all are somewhat different. Not that they won't be able to fly it, they would, but uh, they choose specific pilots for specific uh, aircraft as such. And uh, yeah, it is important and uh, it is, uh, like I said, I think previously I mentioned that uh, <coughs> in the good old days, I'm talking about the uh, the 90s and things like that, where a, if the plane, plane was full and going to Jeddah and there was a seat in the cockpit, uh, they'd invite you in and <laughs> that's where you're going to sit, of course. And it's quite unnerving flying into black darkness, you know, at night if you're flying, there's nothing, you see nothing out the front window. And it's all about instrumentation and more paperwork and things like that, uh, you know, pumping uh, fuel from one uh, tank uh, to the other, from one wing to the other and things like that as the fuel burns off to maintain the trim and the balance of the aircraft. You know, that's something we don't necessarily uh, get to seeing or get to knowing about, but uh, they're quite a busy lot. There. Yeah, the pilots can put on autopilot once it's at 35,000 feet and, you know, go and to the loo or whatever they might uh, do or have a meal or something. But uh, yeah, I think the critical part is just the takeoff and the landing. That's most important. And of course, uh, depending on what your weather conditions are and of course the uh, the uh, stacking, which we experience mainly at uh, holiday times where there'll be a dozen or more aircraft just going around and around in circles at different altitudes just waiting for a landing slot. So. It's important that they are alert and alive and knowing what they are doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know what you say it makes a lot of sense. I remember when I was uh, flying from uh, yeah Dubai to Djibouti, mm. and uh, it was. Uh, I'll tell you what. I remember the airline, Juba Airlines, Juba. I think that's, yeah, yeah. And when the, when we walked up the you know the gangway, or we going mm. into the plane. And we looked into the cockpit. We could see I had a bird's eye view. Guess what? Yeah. Yeah, so I saw the pilot sleeping. And yeah. I'm telling a comrade of mine, I said, check there. He can shut, man. <laughs> so he lights out how he's going to fly us. And, you know, I mean, it's amazing. But uh, they were, he was like just having his 40 wings and before he yeah. uh, flew out. But mm. uh, alhamdulillah, lucky we, uh, we flew safely. But, you know, all, all, all that is a f uh, worrying factor for passengers, I wonder how many of them worry about the type of crew or the type of pilot that fly us. And when you get into the plane, you know, automatically you get into a spiritual mode. Uh, I mean, generally, that's what happens to me. I start, uh, you know, glorifying Allah even more and saying, you know, look at your kudrat, look at the the power that you've given, this tons of steel is going to go up into the sky. Only mm. by your leave will it be there. Uh, you know, I wonder if uh, people of other per persuasions, uh, do they think like us, Abu uh, I mean, uh, Ibrahim uh, uh, Well, look, uh, the thing is, we are we are taught that uh, that is something we must be eternally grateful for. And of course, there is a special dua that needs to be read every time you go into any conveyance, be it your, your motor car or bus or train or even plane for that matter. 
And uh, I believe that uh, to a certain degree, those who are maybe somewhat spirit, more spiritually aware than your ordinary rank and file uh, Joe Sixpack, you know, they will, of course, say a prayer. Maybe not as earnestly as uh, you and I might, but uh, I believe that uh, it is something that is common in the human being as such. But uh, when they really start praying, when when the things really start happening, because I remember the ones we were going also up to Jeddah and was a South African Airways flight, and that thing lost altitude like you couldn't imagine. And if you didn't have your belt on, you hit the roof, uh, complete with your tray and the food and the drink and everything, and that plane had to turn back. So, uh, yeah, that is why they advise you, uh, keep your belt fastened, even though that you are seated and the light is off, you know, because uh, at any time you could hit some uh, turbulence that is not necessarily uh, visible on the radar. And uh, if you are not belted up, uh, the thing is you'll, you'll face the consequences in no, no uncertain terms. Absolutely, Ba, and uh, you know, then uh, coming back uh, to some of the topics uh, that we have in front mm. of us, and the first one is uh, 10 African countries uh, where South Africans don't need a visa to travel. Yeah, only 10, uh, Ba. <laughs> well, that's just in Africa where you don't need the visa. I know there are moves afoot and there's discussions uh, plenty insofar as the uh, African Union and doing away with borders, doing away with uh, needs for visas and free movement and things, but that's still, still somewhere further down the road. Uh, basically, uh, Africa itself, um, trust me, Africa is a very beautiful continent and uh, it has uh, many, many opportunities for travelers to go and explore. And uh, our passport uh, is currently ranked 97th globally. And it allows its, uh, our citizens to travel to 73 countries without a visa. And uh, of course, uh, it, it, it helps greatly when you can just jump on a plane and get off on the other side and there's no need to, uh, you know, in advance go to the embassies or whatever and fill out uh, mind-numbing forms, you know. It is sickening, really, sometimes, the, the questions they ask. But anyway, be that as it may, uh, yeah, there are 10 uh, African states that uh, welcome South Africa without a visa and in no particular order. Uh, we've got Angola, Botswana, Lesotho, Mozambique, Mauritius, Kenya, Tanzania, Eswatini, that's Swaziland formerly, and uh, Zambia and Zimbabwe, of course. And uh, some of these countries may be nearby, but uh, they all uh, adhere to entry requirements and of course you're going to have to have a valid passport that uh, given and uh, if there's any uh, sort of uh, inoculation or health stuff and maybe insurance that you need to take uh, other than that all you do is you pack your bag buy your ticket just get on and off you go and it people top 10 coming to you visa-free. You can join that in Africa and enjoy it. And Ibrahimba, I mean, how's your side of tourism? You know, how much of, uh, how you know, African tourism do you cater for, Ba? Uh, look, the thing is, we've always been uh, international outbound, okay, as opposed to uh, inbound, because inbound, the thing is, obviously, you need to, to have uh, the right uh, sort of set up uh, enough staff and you are the man, the main centers. And of course, uh, as you know, the uh, 
the industry, the travel industry is still very much uh, under the control of the uh, whites in this country. I don't care what you care to say. Uh, I know what I'm talking about. And uh, unless and until you've got the ability to uh, render a service that will be able to compete and uh, attract uh, hotel and other attraction rates, in the, that are on par with what they get. Most time they always get preference as opposed to you being a smaller operation. And uh, that is why we, it, not to say there isn't, there is, but uh, we don't uh, see that as our major market. Uh, our major market is outbound international. We do have uh, Africa, places like uh, Namibia, places like, uh, of course, internal South Africa itself, and uh, Zimbabwe, uh, Zambia somewhat, uh, and also into uh, places like Ethiopia, uh, Egypt, of course, and uh, Morocco, yes. And uh, those, uh, I think, will be the main destinations. But other than that, it's mostly going a, either to South America, uh, Europe, and, uh, of course, uh, the whole of Asia, Southeast Asia in particular. And... Uh, of course, the Indian Ocean Islands, like the Maldives and Zanzibar and uh, Mauritius. Yeah, those are the mainstays, actually. And uh, the thing is, you've got to focus in your niche. You know, you you, you can do the world, but the thing is, uh, you cannot be everything to everybody. If you specialize, I think uh, you can sort of hone your skills and, uh, and form, uh, you know, good working relationships and strong partnerships that will hold you in good stead when you are competing, uh, you know, in an open market. Well, you know, whilst you're talking, I was thinking how popular is, uh, you know, safari amongst uh, Muslims and hunting, you know, maybe uh, the hunters you find uh, in uh, northern Transvaal or eastern Transvaal or in the northwest province and so forth. I want to know how popular is it amongst Muslims? Uh, you know, we know the Buros love it. Uh, mm. but, uh, what about Muslim families? Uh, do they get yeah. into hunting? I know in Pakistan there is a, a culture of hunting too, uh, Ba. Mm. Yeah, it, look, it's a growing uh, trend amongst us. It wasn't so popular originally, but uh, from outside, people from the Middle East that uh, come over, they would like to go and live. Uh, you know, they normally book the entire sort of uh, resort, so to speak. And uh, they uh, do hunting as well. And uh, it's very much uh, very popular with them. Locally, it is a growing trend, like I said. And uh, fortunately, there are some, uh, uh, how shall I say, uh, game reserves or farms and things privately owned that allow you to come over to hunt. And uh, it's, an, it's not a cheap spot, but you must understand that for every animal, every head of animal that you, 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 you would shoot or kill, the thing is... Uh, it varies in price and it runs into the tens of thousands. Uh, so God forbid if you look at a herd and if you should uh, let rip and kill more than one, then, then you're in for it. So you pay for whatever you kill. So that's the story there, Ba. But you remember when you were lighties, chal, 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 mere hasi, mere sasi. But this hasi, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it went berserk, uh, Ba. Yeah, it, uh, Elephant <laughs> smashes the, the car windscreen. I uh, mean, you can't play with the Hathi, Ba. Talk no, to us the, about this, this elephant. Uh, yeah, it got a bit uh, too close for comfort, actually. And uh, this was uh, out in our uh, Kruger National Park, no less. And, uh, of course, uh, you got the road that goes through the uh, through the reserve, of course. And... Uh, 
it depends on uh, how you care to look at it. And, uh, you know, some people, they go, uh, the, if they're not local and they've never seen uh, Wild, the game in, in, in real life, they, they just go nuts sometimes. Uh, you will recall, before I come to the story, there was this crazy American tourist that uh, uh, opened his window and was waving at the lion, and the lion promptly took his arm off. So, it's crazy. But uh, coming back to our, our topic here, this elephant approached the car and it uh, decided to take a seat on the bonnet. And of course, it shattered the windscreen because even if it's a little elephant, uh, they are quite big and quite heavy. And I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the occupants were really terrified to think that if it sat any further inward, the whole roof would crumble and they'll get crushed as well. But uh, there is a video of this incident and uh, it's gone uh, viral. Yeah. And uh, there's been thousands of likes and views and things like that. And uh, of course, uh, the driver can be heard to saying that, oh, I think he's going to be causing trouble and things like that. But uh, Eventually, that elephant sat down and had a bit of a rest on the car's windshield before wandering off again. And uh, I think uh, they mentioned, Kruger Park uh, spokesperson, he mentioned that uh, uh, they hadn't received a report. I think the guy must have been scared out of his mind, basically, for him to go and have the presence of mind to go and report the thing. But uh, he said that there are guidelines. But, uh, I mean, what kind of guidelines are you going to follow if you are driving mind your own mm. on the path? And this elephant takes a shine to you and comes and sits on your windscreen. There's nothing much you can do about it. And uh, this is not the first incident. There have been other incidents that were scarier, where I think rhinos and things come and stick their horns into the uh, vehicles. And, uh, of course, I think there was one incident where the big uh, bull elephant actually used its uh, trunk and tusk to capsize the car. Unfortunately, you know, in most instances, uh, the people get away, I mean, apart from their pride being hurt and uh, getting shocked, uh, you know, witless. Uh, I think uh, it is a, uh, what's the name, risk that you take. And uh, you must be under no illusion that you're going into the wild. That is their domain. That is their territory. And you are just a visitor. No, absolutely. And uh, this is what you should remember of the mm -hmm. safari park and also the Indian Ocean. There's sharks lurking there. Mm -hmm. Respect the ocean. Well, Ba. Durban and Cape Town recognized as some of the of Africa's leading destinations at the 30th World Travel Awards. At least uh, Durban is there. And, you know, Cape Town can't say, hey, we're hogging it all, Ba. Yeah, well, look, uh, the thing is the disparity uh, insofar as a tourism uh, uh, popularity and, of course, uh, what the destinations have to offer, you know, is, uh, is varied and... Uh, I think the only problem with the Durban is that we don't have competent people marketing it, okay? And uh, sort of basically getting everything into gear because if one goes to Cape Town, one can see how jacked up the tourism uh, sort of operation is. You know, from the time you hit the deck until wherever you go and then you go out again, it's different from when you're coming here to Durban. And uh, I'm not uh, slating Durban. Durban has a huge variety to offer, KZN, I would think, the province. And uh, I think uh, if you put it in the hands of the right people, it can outshine. It has the potential to outshine even the best on earth, really. And, uh, of course, the Travel Awards, uh, this were the 30th uh, Travel Awards, World Travel Awards. And uh, like you said, Durban and Cape Town came in 
as one of the top destinations to be uh, visited. And uh, it uh, it uh, took into consideration the uh, excellence in travel, tourism, hospitality, etc., etc., everything that makes up a good, well-rounded sort of uh, travel experience. And uh, we competed with uh, country, I mean, cities such as Accra, uh, Cape Town, Johannesburg, Kigali, Lagos, Marrakesh, Nairobi and Zanzibar in its category and of course we won Durban Auto and recognition for Africa's leading uh, convention and conference center being the Albert Lutuli ICC in Durban so that came through for us and of course Cape Town shone in various aspects like I mentioned and of course the airport being uh, the best airport in South Africa if not in Africa and of course, uh, the port of Cape Town, leading cruise port, uh, the one and only uh, hotel resort in Cape Town, and of course the waterfront, it all went in favor of Cape Town uh, being in the top bracket as well. Uh, there were a whole a host of other uh, hotels and things that came in, but uh, they are far too numerous and uh, you know mundane for me to go into. But uh, yeah, basically we have uh, good uh, infrastructure, we have good climate, uh, we are very, very affordable, seeing that our money is worth nothing against the hard currencies. And I guess uh, that is what makes it so appealing to everyone, Ba. Well, those people that, uh, you know, say, you talk about the hard currency, uh, currencies, I call them mufatias. They <laughs> want everything for nothing. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> They buy everything dead cheap. Who yeah. they think, who's fooling who here, Ba? They yeah. think we know nothing, but we know you're a bunch of mufatias. That's it. <laughs> we leave it at that, Ba. We yeah. look at uh, Cape Town, Umschlanga, and Santander revealed that some of the most expensive places in Africa and people living in these areas, they <laughs> I've arrived. Ba, your thoughts? Yeah, no, what you're saying is correct. And this is borne out by a survey uh, done by a company called Henley and Partners Africa. And this was, uh, uh, you know, noted in their what they call a wealth, <coughs> excuse me, wealth report for this year. And uh, of course, uh, the continent with its youthful and rapidly growing population, it offers a significant investment. And this is where it's all aimed at. And uh, over the next decade, they are predicting and are expecting a 42% increase in high net worth individuals. So uh, everything is geared that way. And of course, uh, the places that you cited just now being Cape Town, Umschlanga and Santon, uh, those are the ones where the uh, uber rich and the millionaires and centi-millionaires and sometimes billionaires uh, find that that is their playground. And uh, key figures from December last year, uh, shows that Africa holds uh, 2.4 trillion with a T dollar in investable wealth with 23 billionaires, 328 centimillionaires, that means millionaires that are over and above the 100 million mark and uh, 138,000 ordinary millionaires, ordinary really. And uh, the top five wealth markets are South Africa, Egypt, Nigeria, Kenya, and of course, Morocco. And South Africa stands out uh, conspicuously with 98 centimillionaires. 
And these are most uh, often uh, founders uh, of multinational corporations and companies and things like that. And uh, South Africa leads in Africa's wealthiest cities and the highest number of expensive cities and things like that. And uh, the top 10 costliest places for centimillionaires as of June 2023, based on the average square meter price of prime 200 to 400 square meter apartments. So this is what they're using as a gauge bar, that if you want to buy a plush uh, sort of luxurious apartment anyway in one of these cities, this is what it's going to cost you per square meter. Okay, now here we are in the top 10 is of course Cape Town, way head and shoulders above everyone. Uh, and these are all in dollars, huh? 5,200 rand a square meter for Cape Town. Hermanus comes in at 2,200, as does Plettenberg Bay. Marrakesh in Morocco comes in at 2,000, Umschlanga in South Africa at 2,000 per square meter. Santon is at 1,800. Tangiers in Morocco is 1,600. Casablanca also in Morocco at 1,200. Cairo in Egypt at 1,200. And of course, uh, number 10 is Nairobi in Kenya. That also come in at uh, 1,200. So look at the disparity bar. From one to 10, uh, Cape Town at the top of the pile is at 5,200 dollars per square meter as opposed to Kenya, Nairobi, 1200. So it's a huge uh, canyon of difference over there. Well. But good to see that Amshlanga is at number five at 2000. So it's only the uber rich and the well healed that can go and pay this kind of price. It's not for people like me and you. You know, uh, maybe the percentage wise, it's good to see who are these uh, mega rich people. You know, are they more of the Zionist uh, brigade that's coming in, buying off Cape Town, buying off Umschlanga, Aba? Well, look, uh, I think it's varied because a lot of, uh, there's a lot of semigration, and as you know, that is moving within the country per se. A lot of the high flyers from Gauteng have opted to go down to Cape Town, the Western Cape, as well as some on the north coast of Durban. And that is what's making Amshlanga um, prices go higher and higher. And uh, surprisingly, when last I did a check on this thing, the uh, majority of the investors are from the uh, European continent. A lot of Germans, uh, some uh, uh, British and things like that. But uh, yeah, I guess there would be a smattering of our friends as well, the tribe, you know, that we talk about all the time that have the money and, uh, you know, the uh, pension for spending it on uh, holiday villas and uh, apartments that they will maybe come uh, once in a while or a little more during the course of the year when it suits their fancy. But uh, there are a lot of locals bah, that uh, can and do afford this. Like uh, it was stated, the uh, 98 centi millionaires. Now, that's a lot of people with a lot of money. Bah, and uh, the ordinary millionaires, well, of course, uh, for them to invest in, in, in these things, it's not unheard of. And uh, of course, the property prices uh, in Cape Town are now in the stratosphere. and way above the reach of the ordinary, uh, you know, rank and file South African. Well, Ba, I tell you, rank and file. Yeah, with Allah, uh, it is not your pedigree, but your piety that counts in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, exactly, Ba. The thing is, this is just uh, a distraction. It's just a temporary abode. As, mm. You know, that we will be leaving very shortly. And uh, the thing is, at the end of the day, 
uh, it's important uh, to know uh, what your priorities are. As Allah says very clearly that uh, for those who love the world, he'll make it such that you'll be envying them. But the thing is, don't don't be uh, resorting to that because your uh, final and permanent abode is a, either in Jannah or Jahannam, depending on who you are and what you get up to. Mm. So uh, he'll give them everything that will be the envy of everyone else here. and But that's all there is for them. There is no nothing on the other side for them. This is something that uh, they cannot or will not understand. And that is why there is this headlong pursuit of ever increasing material wealth and things like that. But at the end of the day, Bai, you know that irrespective of how much of money they got, they have and whatever, uh, you know, uh, hedonistic and other pursuits they are always hankering for. The thing is, there is always that spiritual emptiness that they'll never be able to fill, irrespective of what they try. And that is why you still get such a whole lot of them uh, being very successful uh, celebrities and all, uh, resorting to drug abuse and committing suicide and all sorts of nonsense like that, because uh, they have no Iman, they have no uh, spiritual sort of connection with the Creator, and that is why they will suffer the consequences of that. Balba, really enjoyed uh, your input uh, on your segment, uh, Travel Express. Uh, your parting words uh, this evening? Yeah, seeing that we talk about Matt spiritual, let me leave you with this one-liner. <clears throat> it says, if you do not prepare now for the afterlife, then when will you ever do so? Beautiful indeed. Yeah, before the flight takes off, be yeah. ready for the final flight right into Inshallah, and to feel those. Ibrahim Ba, you have a lovely, beautiful evening ahead. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair, Brother Shafat, and all you listeners out there. Have a lovely evening yourself, and uh, may Allah always be with you all. Amen. Jazakallah khair to our Ibrahim Ba. Thank you very much, Alukolo, for Top Protect. Uh, keep it locked up to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming. From the team and I, till we meet you again, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum. Wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.